hey, Dan, I got to run, but can you just let Stephanie know that her patient rescheduled to my schedule just for tomorrow for a visit? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Stephanie, Paul seen one of your patients tomorrow. Can you make sure you touch base with him? Hey, Paul, Dan, let me know that my patient rescheduled all of their appointments to your schedule. Did I do something wrong? Ah, yes, the wonderful game of telephone communication confusion strikes again. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. This is Dan hosting once again. I am joined with Paul as a co-host. Hello, hello. And we have a special guest joining us today. Jamie Schreier is a best-selling author, speaker, and CEO of Practice Freedom U, a business coaching and training company who has helped hundreds of practice owners create a highly profitable business. Jamie, a physical therapist, is a former private practice owner, and his book, The Practice Freedom Method, has helped many practices work less, earn more, and join a life they deserve. Jamie, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you, guys. Appreciate uh, being here. So just kind of give our listeners a a quick background, a little bit more depth, and then I I do want you to talk a little bit about the book and, 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 and why you think that book is so beneficial for practicing therapists and aspiring leaders to help their professional career? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, I'm going to be just real, real honest. There's there's nothing special about me. I'm just a a person that got hurt in college, started getting treatment, you know, went to the training room, started learning personal or or, uh, athletic training, said, okay, what else is there? Learned physical therapy and said, all right, this is what I want to do. Went into school, got out of school, started started treating, and you know loved it, and spent a lot of time and energy in in perfecting and developing my craft, and you know working hard and wanted to take care of people, and then you know I I got that bug some of us get that entrepreneurial bug I know you two have it, you know you're you're doing this you know you're working for a bigger company but you're doing this that's that entrepreneurial bug it doesn't mean you have to necessarily own a business. But I did want to own a business. I did want to have, you know, control over my financial future, and I wanted to treat the kind of patients I wanted to do. So that's what I did. And you know, I've been uh, a therapist for over twenty, over twenty-five years, twenty-eight years, actually. And um, you know, I've been a, I've been a, a, a business owner for for twenty-something of those. I've been a private practice owner. Um, I've been through hell and back. Uh, I've made every darn mistake you can imagine. And, you know, one of the things I was excited to come on today, because I speak, you know, a lot to practice owners, but I also do a lot of uh, speaking to training to their staff. So I know what it's like to to understand the, the staff, whether it's the front desk, the admin, the aides, the clinicians, the directors. I get where they're coming from. So I'm excited to kind of share my experience and, and working with uh, so many of the staff people and helping them just forge better relationships and with not only their patients, but with their coworkers and supervisors and et cetera. So with some of those staff members, when you work with them, what are, what's the most common topic of discussion, the most common challenge that you're seeing them dealing with? 
Yeah, good question. So, you know, when I'm when I'm doing a training with the staff, you know, um, first of all, uh, owners are not allowed. So <laughs> it's just it's just you know I, I'll do in person training sometimes virtual trainings during COVID it was virtual, but in persons I love. I like to see the whole, and I, I go out there and I just give a you know a, a little grin and I just go. Um, so what's preventing you from becoming successful in your job? What's preventing you from truly being just ridiculously happy about coming to work? And the most common answer that I get stems around the word confusion. They have some level of confusion, confusion about exactly what their role is, right? Kind of going back to the job description, exactly how to measure success in their role. Who should I be report to? I can't tell you how many times, guys, that I'm asking them, who is your direct report? And they're like, well, it could be so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Like, there's like four direct reports. <laughs> One company I was working with, I will not name the company, very, very large company. Everyone has heard of them. I'm working with them, and the um, manager, administrative manager, says I have 35 direct reports. Oh, God. And Yikes. I go, what do you do all day? She so goes, I just set up for meetings. I go, what about your job? I never get to it. I'm just constantly dealing with meetings and, and answering questions and problems. And so needless to say, even, even the large companies uh, sometimes are the biggest culprits of, of confusion. But whether it's large or small or medium size, you know, confusion is the number one thing that, that, that I have heard from, from, the, from the staff. First, I'm going to say, I always love the good players-only meeting. So I like that's where you go, owners, not invited. Tim, if you're listening, that means, you know, we'll call some something. You're not invited to that. It's how it should work. No, players-only. I, I like that. I like that a lot. I'm curious, and with that confusion, obviously, I, I know there are ways that from the top down they can help. But for the staff, like, how do they help address that confusion? If they don't know what they're supposed to be doing or how to measure the examples you gave, how do they broach that topic or get a better understanding of what they need to be doing? Well, I think the first thing is to ask, you know, you know, one of the questions that I asked in there, which then I would train the, the supervisors as well as the team is I would ask, what are you not 100% clear about in your job? Like what provides angst? Each one of us have some type of angst about our position at some point in the day or the week or the month. There's nothing perfect. And we know that. So what is that angst? What is that confusion? Where is it around? No matter how small or seemingly insignificant. And once I ask that question, they're very clear in what that is. Some things I've heard was, well, Jamie, um, the job I was hired for that you're showing me, you know, because I asked, bring your job description. That's nowhere near what I actually do on a day to day. So I said, well, there's a disconnect in what you do and what you are supposed to be doing, what you think you're supposed to be doing. Yep. I said, okay. So now it's about how do we align that better? And then that becomes the conversation and the solution. But just recognizing that I think is critical. I think maybe not so much in larger companies, but I can't be sure for that. But certainly smaller companies that I deal with, you know, you're, you're under $5 million companies that I deal with. A lot of it is. I don't have objective clarity of what success is. It's very subjective. Sometimes the owner says, I'm doing great. Sometimes they're not. 
I don't like not having a clear picture of objectively of what success, what doing good is, because I think all of us inherently want to do well. I don't think any of us purposely want to not do well. So getting clear, you know, in, well, what is that objective thing? Is it, you know, getting to metrics? Is it, is it visits? Is it the billing thing? You and I were talking about that, some of the things you helped the, the staff with. But getting clarity around that is huge because when we are clear, it's amazing how well we enjoy doing our job and how much more productive and happy we are in it. So let's kind of start with, so, so you're, you're asking for, for providing clarity. What happens when you're asking for clarity and all you get is more confusion? I'm sure you've run into that situation where you're, like, you're trying to gather information and the questions or the responses that the staff provides is causing more confusion and then it becomes to the point where their emotions start to kick in and they're getting frustrated and angry and upset when they're giving you information that you're trying to help them dissolve the situation. Yeah, so our our profession stems around communication and relationships. That's what our profession is. Many professions are like that. Our, our clinical knowledge, yes, important. We spend a lot of time learning that. But unfortunately, we don't spend a ton of time learning communication. And it is a skill. It is a learned thing, right? I, wasn't, I, didn't, I didn't show up like this. Uh, my communication has improved the same way my clinical skills have improved because I have practiced and I have trained. And that is something that we, as a perhaps a profession, an industry, don't really focus too much. We love to focus on you need more skills, more skills. And the reality is all of us are only using a small percentage of the skills that we have. We just use them over and over and over again because how could you possibly use all of it? It's too much. It's overwhelming. So that's the first problem. The second problem is our supervisors, our bosses, our advisors, our directors, they also don't have the communication training. And it's even more important for them to have training in the ability to communicate, to engage, to have those difficult conversations that we all dread so much, even if, let's say, our, our team doesn't have that additional skill. But again, how much does the leadership or the management of our team how much do they are actually invested in training them on how to communicate? And a big part of this communication, which is a training that is probably one of the best trainings that, that I do and people have loved, is this whole idea of emotional intelligence. You guys familiar with, with EQ? Yes. If I, when I ask clinic owners or, or definitely staff, most of them really never heard of it. And the ones that have, it's very, very vague in what they understand about it. But if you guys have heard of it and you guys embraced it, and, and it kind of seems like you have, because you can always tell when someone's EQ is high. We're not just born with, you know, high EQ. And unlike IQ, IQ is pretty much, it is what it is. By the time you're age 12, you're as smart as what you're smart is. You can get it slightly improved. But EQ is a wild thing. EQ is really about how do we understand 
and handle our own emotions? And how do we recognize and handle emotions in others? That is the definition of how to create and develop relationships. So what you said about, you know, what do you do if you're speaking to a staff person about it and they're becoming emotional and frustrated, the more you're able to answer those things and ask questions and be in that moment, the better you are at fixing whatever the issue is and developing an amazing team. Teams are not just randomly put together. Teams are developed. And it's up to us with our skill to develop those teams. And when you have that and you have their best interests in mind, great things happen. Too many times we don't have the skill for whatever reason, either it's not offered to us or we don't kind of move it on our own. So what happens? Well, we're emotional beings. So when emotions are high, intelligence is low. One of my favorite <laughs> quotes. And when emotions are high, the last thing we want to do is be in those moments making critical decisions. I'll give you an example. So when I own my practice, you know, I'm an emotional, passionate person. It can get the best of me at times. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that if I'm not happy, no matter if I'm smiling or whatever, you can just tell I'm just not happy or I'm frustrated or I'm disappointed. And I didn't realize how much that came off to other people. And in one year, I was sitting down with a buddy of mine, we're having a beer, and he goes, well, who'd you fire this week? And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, do you know how many times you've told me you fired someone or someone is quitting or whatever it is? I go, no, I had no idea. And he goes, I can't tell you how many. So I went, all right, let me go back and look at the year. 25 people, guys. 25 people either I fired or quit or I hired in one year. My staff was seven. I had a seven-person staff. And when I asked him why, he goes, you were too unpredictable, Jamie. You could be the greatest, but then your emotions come in. You make it feel like it's our fault, and we weren't happy to come to work. You made us feel bad. And that was a big eye-opener, and that was one of the moments that I said, wow, that's the opposite of what I want to do with people. So, and I'd love to dive into some of this, but... But understanding how to have those conversations, understanding how to put your, your team in your best interest is huge in, in handling difficult conversations and developing great, great teams and culture. I love that. And full disclosure, you know, you asked the question, are you familiar with EQ? And the answer is yes. But, I mean, had you asked me just a few years ago, it would have been exactly as you described, Jamie. It would have been very shallow, very general, not a whole lot. Like I could have defined it, but that's about it. I couldn't have given concrete examples to what it is. It really wasn't until Brett Fisher uh, was helping us with developing the sports medicine training program um, that we talked about before that he really made me think a lot more and learn a lot more about EQ. And that was 10-ish years into my career. So it's not something, like you said, that we commonly see or just have. And even those of us that are trying to do it, trying to do it well, it's something that can be relatively new for a lot. But I want to dive in, like you said, you gave a great example there of the, the unpredictability and the passion. And I see a lot of therapists that 
sometimes my favorite therapists are the ones that are so, they love their job, they love what they do, they are passionate about doing it right and doing it well. And the problem is sometimes when things don't go well and don't go right, that passion comes out in a different form. <laughs> Anger, frustration, etc. So seeing as you kind of had a, a similar experience there, how, how did you go about kind of looking at yourself with that, that side of the equation and saying, hey, how can I still remain passionate about what I do and being done right, but relate to my staff and not have that unpredictability that was driving a couple of them to not understand what to do or to, to, to leave, unfortunately? Yeah, for, for sure. No, I think passion is a, is a great attribute that so many of us have in, in, in our field, and that's something that you never want to, you know, try to put out. You, you want to grow that fire. You know, when we talk about emotional intelligence, you know, there is so much study connected to advancement in, in the workplace, advancement in, in money and income. Uh, people with higher EQs make more money. It's, it's a clear bottom line. People with higher EQs are happier, more fulfilled, whether in the office, out of the office. So what is emotional intelligence? Simply, it's how you recognize and handle emotions. And, you know, one of my favorite songs that I typically play when I'm doing a talk is uh, Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, right? Because the man or woman in the mirror is where it all starts. And the first component of emotional intelligence is all about self-awareness. In other words, are we aware of our own emotions? Are we aware of what triggers us? We all have pet peeves. We all have triggers that piss us off. Instead of pretending they don't exist, I got things that piss me off. And I'm not trying to pretend like they don't piss me off. They do piss me off. What I've learned are instead of Jamie being sarcastic, going, hey, Dan, that's a great shirt you're wearing. I guess uh, collars are out today. Uh, we just wear whatever we want. That's okay, buddy. See, that's how I used to operate. That was Jamie's very funny, sarcastic but it came off just digging into you. And guess what? That was one of my really great talents. I could be so sarcastically just dialing into your soul that you would go home and feel like crap. So I recognized that, you know what? Those types of things trigger me. So how about when it triggers me, first of all, recognize it. Hey, you know what? I'm getting triggered with certain things. So how about I just take a couple deep breaths, maybe take a stroll, not go right up to Dan right away and just say, hey, Dan, I just want to talk to you real quick and just be direct, but be, you know, real. And hey, maybe Dan wasn't wasn't told that it's collared shirts or maybe he doesn't have a collared shirt because no, no one ever gave him one because our whole onboarding system, he never got a collared shirt, whatever it is. But if you if you do it that way, you're going to connect with someone better. You're going to eventually solve the problem. And you just don't have to be that sarcastic person. So it starts with what are the things that trigger you? That's a big thing. And then the second part, which is the second component, and I'm simplifying this whole thing to make it easy to understand because it is kind of easy to understand is, so what are some self-managing strategies that you can do at work, at home, before meeting with an employee, before meeting with a doctor, before whatever? What can you do to put yourself in a better place? 
Because again, I'll say it and I'll say it a hundred times. When emotion is high, intelligence is low. It's a physiological brain fact. So we've all said things we regret later. But when you're in the workplace, family, you get away with it. You say things, sorry, honey. When you're in the workplace, sometimes you don't get away with it. The person leaves or they say there's harassment or they go to your boss and there's a whole thing going on. And it's all because we didn't show up as our best self. And that's what this is about. Our responsibility as professionals is to show up when we go to work as the best version of ourselves for our patients, for our colleagues, and for everyone else in the community and stakeholders. That takes practice. And that's what this is about. Because when you do, oh, man, life gets better. Work gets better. Your job gets better. So I kind of want to kind of stay on this this path a little bit about that self-awareness and managing your emotions and recognizing your triggers and then what your physiological response is to that trigger. Is it elevated heart rate? Is it rapid breathing? Is it a pit in your stomach? Is it feeling nauseous? Is it feeling dizzy, right? Like some of those, we have to have self-awareness of our own phys- phys- physiological response to a stressful situation and how we go about preparing ourselves to step into that upcoming conversation. But I, I really want you to kind of highlight some strategies for, for people once they realize that and, and they've taken a few steps to reduce that physiological symptom when it's a situation they know that they're going to get negative feedback. So whether it's you know, a job performance related issue. It's a complaint from a patient. It's a physician on the phone calling, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning or their medical assistant calling at seven o'clock in the morning. And you know, uh oh, if they're calling at seven o'clock in the morning, something probably has not been favorable. Even flashbacks, Dan. Yeah, I sorry. feel like you have I, a couple yes, of vivid, absolutely. vivid I'm ideas right now. Flashbacks <laughs> about that. Uh, you know, uh, but like some 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 yeah, yeah, tangible yeah. steps for therapists or yep. directors or really any of our listening audience that will help them manage negative feedback situations and and turn those into an opportunity where they learn from it, grow from it, and they can move on. Yeah, that's a great question. So when I started learning about EQ and this whole idea of, of being self-aware of my own stuff, um, and, and providing different strategies, I turned it into a tool and we call it, uh, at Practice Freedom U, the confidence toolbox. We all have things that elevate our energy. We all have things that give us confidence. And the question is, is do you have a list of those things, those things that you can count on when your energy and confidence start to go down, such as phone rings seven in the morning, doctor's calling and your heart rate starts to shoot, you're starting to get nervous. So what is that one thing that you can do right there and rely on? For me, as simple as it sounds, is I just pause, I take a deep breath, and I say this one thing, what do I appreciate about this doctor? Think about that line. What do I appreciate about this doctor? 
When you say that phrase, whether it's a doctor, you're going into the performance review, you're the one giving the performance review, you're the one giving the, what would you write in our thing, uh, the negative feedback, that conversation, or you're an employee going to a supervisor that you're unhappy about something. If you start off with gratitude and what you appreciate, it'll immediately reduce the angst and get your mind in much more of a rational place immediately. It happens instantaneously because you cannot be two things at once. You can't be grateful and upset. You know, you can't be grateful and spiteful. So it's a way to ask a question to put you in that place. I remember when I was running around with a chicken, uh, like a, a chicken with a head cut off. I, I had two practices. I was treating 40 hours a week. I was trying to manage my staff of seven that kept going in and out. And I was still seeing patients. Well, it's not fair for me to have my brain somewhere else when I'm treating a patient. So I came up with a thing where before I walked into the room, I paused for no matter how late or what. I paused five seconds, deep breath. Jamie, what do you appreciate about this patient you're about to treat? And I said anything from, you know what? They're taking the time an effort to come in and take care of themselves. They're trusting in us to help them. It immediately got my focus on them and helped me become fully present. And that's what this is about. It's being fully present in the moment, which is becoming harder and harder and harder every single day because all of us are in the future. We're in the past. We're anywhere but truly here. And I think a lot of times that's where we get into trouble, guys, because we're like, oh, wait a minute. Well, I thought you said this. I didn't realize you meant this. And it's such just a cop out. It's because you're not fully present there. So I think that's where the conversation begins. It begins with you and that frame of mind. It also begins with you being prepared. So one thing that I like to do is have a, we call it a clarity conversation in, in our world, but some people call it a crucial conversation or just a difficult conversation. But being, being a manager, being a leader or being an employee, you know, the more we can lean in, I love that word lean in, the more we can lean in to the things that do scare us. And those conversations are not easy. I'll never say they're easy, but the more we can lean in, the better we will be. And you can lean in by preparing, just like actors and musicians, we prepare. So how many of us, before we have one of these difficult meetings, are actually preparing, but we're preparing from a communication standpoint, not just, you know, if we're doing um, a performance review, Not we're not just gathering their docs. So I have a little format that I do that I can share with you. One is gratitude. What is one thing you appreciate about them? That's number one. And you would say it. Hey, Dan, dude, I'll tell you, you've been working here for, for, for three months. I just want to say people love you. you. You've made a really impact. And I just want to tell you that, man, from that standpoint, dude, great job. It has to be something real and it has to be something genuine. If it's not, don't say it. They'll know you're full of crap. Number two, 
set the stage. Tell people, give them an idea what it's about. Don't just drop some bomb. Hey, Dan, the reason I wanted to talk to you is that, you know, I just noticed a few times that you're a pretty relaxed kind of guy, and sometimes you uh, don't wear the, the collared uh, spooner <laughs> shirt. You like to wear your, your Iron Maiden. You like to wear your, your ACDC, which, hey, I'm a big fan as well. But I just want to kind of talk about the dress code and why it's important and all that. And then you go right into your question. And your question should be open-ended. They can be... It can be yes, no. You could throw a softball, right? I could say, Dan, are, are you aware that you're, you're not wearing the proper attire? You could be like, no. But then you should have some open-ended questions in. So, you know, what do you think? Why do you think it's important for all of us to be, you know, dressed in the kind of the same uniform and all that? Like, it, it, it all depends where Dan takes this. Now, if Dan is responding defensive, if Dan is responding, you know, not, quote, a normal, rational response, then me and my preparation is, and this is the fourth section, prepare for objections and questions back. What could they possibly respond back to? This is the part that I believe that causes the most problems. Where emotion is high, their emotion is high, they say something isn't rational, and your response is less. And now you're talking about all this other junk that there's most likely some stuff behind it. Why? Because we probably haven't addressed this in the past, and it's built up bigger and bigger now, and now it's all coming out. Versus addressing something when it's just a minor issue. Now, this has probably been going on for a while because you didn't want to bring it up to them and they didn't want to bring it up to you. So you have this appreciation. You have this, hey, here's why I want to talk to you about. You ask a couple questions and you start just becoming curious. I'm going in there not judging Dan. I'm going in there trying to understand where is Dan coming from from this? If I go in with that curiosity versus judging versus attacking, I'm going to show up immediately different. And I'm going to look for trying to understand it from Dan's perspective. Now, I can do the old school military command and control. Dan, I wanted to talk about your shirt. Don't ever effing wear a shirt like that again. It's collared shirt or you can just get out of here. I could certainly do that. And in some places... That may work for them. But again, if you look at research and you look at company culture and you look at the kind of people we're dealing with now, the younger generation, that ain't going to fly for too long. Right? And at the same point, you're not becoming this pushover and all of a sudden changing your whole policies because Dan's not wearing a collar. What you're trying to do is understand where he's coming from. And then it's about what can we do about it? Right? Problem solving. So, Dan, can you wear a collar shirt moving forward because of all the reasons we talked about? Is that possible? Yes. Okay. 
And then you go with the follow-up. This is the most important part of all this besides the being prepared for um, objections and questions. We have a saying, book a meeting from a meeting. I never have a meeting ever, including this one. I will never have a meeting with anyone without a follow-up plan. The follow-up plan could be, Dan, let's circle back in a couple weeks. If there's any problems with it, just let me know. It could be, you know, a performance improvement plan. Let's schedule a time to meet back again and see how things are progressing. It could be after this call, hey, you know, let me know when do you think the podcast will be ready and I'd be happy to promote it on our end. There's always a follow-up. It can't just leave. That's where problems are because you leave thinking it's solved. They leave thinking maybe you just talked to them about something, but eh, if it was really that important, you'd follow up. So that's the, the simple framework, but it takes practice in doing it. And I promise if you do five of these crucial conversations, these clarity meetings, that fifth one is going to seem so much more comfortable than the first. And if you prepare for it, it's never quite like as bad as you think it's going to go. I like so that. that's that's a big thing. I like that a lot. I, I like the framework. Very, very executable at, at any stage of your development as well. And I got to give a little shout out to Julianne, our, our C, um, COO. You know, on our performance review that we just revamped, one of the sections she added was what barriers do you potentially foresee uh, coming in to achieve the goals you've set forward? Because just like you're talking about, Jamie, so often we fail to look forward for what might be responses, what might be potential barriers that could happen and then you don't have the ability to respond appropriately and we know when you have some of that prep time done yeah we can't predict exactly what's going to happen but having some ability to have a framework for it has a large role in really helping us to be able to deal with those issues and and address those issues very successfully or more successfully than may have been otherwise i'm it's never perfect it's always a progress you know perfection or progress progress not perfection I'm curious, um, and like I said, I, I like this is very tangible for everyone, but I know, especially a lot of young therapists, especially the new grads in the first years, I run into all the time with them, any conversation of, of any of these types, whether it's with a patient or with your boss, there's a confidence problem, right? They're, they're, they're having a hard time, like, oh, I don't know if I can talk to Big Scary Dan, like, he's been here for 10 years, I'm just trying to figure my stuff out, I don't know how to broach the topic with him, or I have, I have a patient, like, it, it's that imposter syndrome, I... I don't have the confidence to have the conversation. And I, I know this the framework we talk about really would help with a lot of that, but anything specific for that confidence issue that especially our younger therapists deal with frequently? Yeah. Um, so I, I work with a handful of private coaching clients. These are sometimes executives. These are, you know, business owners. And one of the, one of the things I probably do more than anything else in coaching is provide confidence when they don't have it. And I think it's important to surround yourself with mentors and people that can help you get out of your own imposter doom and gloom. You know, I think I do that pretty well for our clients and really people in my, in my life. And there's a lot of other people that can do that. Maybe you guys have maybe that for each other. I think it's important to have that. I think it's also important to be very reflective, right? We talked about reflection. We talked about, uh, we call it debriefing. 
But when we look back about what we have done, what we have accomplished, we'll start to get confidence in doing that. Like for that person that you're describing, that, that, that young lady that says, who am I? You've been here 10 years. And I'm like, you got a 3.9 in college. You had a job and went to PT school. You busted your butt. You graduated at the top of your class. You're working at a job. You, you have put together in your church all this. You are amazing at what you've done, and that's why they hired you. So why don't you go in there appreciating them about, you know, the opportunity you have. And before you go in, why don't you go run around the block and get yourself into a fired-up mood so you go in there at a high-energy level. And I promise that conversation will go tremendously well. We have to get out of our own heads. We have to get out of this, you know, this idea of no matter how many courses I take, no matter how many A's I've gotten, no matter how many degrees I have, and I can't speak to every industry, but man, we have a lot of people that have lack of confidence and this imposter syndrome. I know it's others' industries, but God, I go to these places and I'm like, you're, you're one of the smartest people on the planet. Some of my owners, I go, your income is in the top one half of 1% if you look at the numbers. And you're not confident about what again? So we have to look at the things that we have accomplished, and we don't. We keep looking at what we haven't done. We keep looking at how everyone else is better than us. I say, if social media isn't bringing you up, then maybe you should eliminate it. I know it's easier said than done. But I can tell you there have been weeks that I've been off social media because I look at things and, hey, I'm susceptible to imposter syndrome. I'm telling you that right now. I'll look at social media. I'll look at some business owner, some coach or some person. I go, man, they got to figure it out. What the hell am I doing here? Instead of looking back at all the things I've accomplished and all the people I've helped, I'll get down on myself in two minutes. And if I'm jumping on a call like this, I will go to what have I done? What do I appreciate about these two guys doing this really cool thing and about their audience? I'm here for them. Get out of your own head, Jamie. Show up for them. And I'll do something to get my confidence higher. You know, I'll do some push-ups. I'll do all kinds of stuff. I'll do some <laughs> mantras. I got all kinds of crazy stuff. I'll play the Rocky theme of Rocky Three. I mean, I'll do I'll do, hey, if it gets my energy up, I show up better. I mean, these are some awesome tidbits. Your five ideas to help prepare yourself for, you know, a clarity conversation, a crucial conversation, a difficult conversation, getting your energy and your framework in the right place, regardless of the scenario that you're going into to assist with your confidence, surrounding yourself with people who are going to help you grow and develop and being out 13 years, sometimes the people that help me grow and develop the most is the person that just came out of school because they have some of the, the, the new research understanding. They have all the energy and the excitement to finally be out of the, the umbrella of somebody else's close, full, close, careful, watchful eye from a CI standpoint. But kind of in closing, can you give our listeners some go-to resources to really help them develop this skill. Circling back around to the beginning, we love to learn clinical skills. 
But if we don't focus on our communication skills, sometimes our clinical skills don't help us get to that next level. So do you have any like excellent go-to resources to provide? For yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I try to provide resources for people. I mean, I have my YouTube channel um, at Jamie Schreier. I have my website, uh, practicefreedomu.com. You can follow me on the other social channels, LinkedIn or whatever. I try to give this stuff away. I mean, yes, people come to us and they pay us a lot of money for this because they're really paying for the accountability and the execution of doing it. But anyone can access. There's there's also just Amazon and 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 getting uh, or or going to YouTube and just downloading uh, emotional intelligence. Right? There's plenty of videos that will tell you exactly what I did in I don't know four minutes. But ultimately, it's is it important enough for, for you to actually practice it and fail and be bad at it for a little while? Like we all went to school. We weren't great as much as we thought we were. We weren't great when we went to school. We weren't great when we got out of school, but we become better. And I think it's so important for our industry. I'll just say one thing about this. I think it's so important for us to want to see other people get better, especially if you're a supervisor. You want to work for a place, and I'm probably uh, saying the right thing when I say I bet your place has this culture that the supervisors, the bosses want to see you do well. When you have that, that gives you the confidence to want to do well. Too many times I see these, these big eye, bushy tail, bright eye people coming out of school and they work for this either owner or supervisor that for whatever reason is trying to keep them down. They're trying to say, you know, you, I don't know what you're so happy about. You don't even know anything. You know, you need to get a fellowship. You need to get this other stuff instead of like, that doesn't help them. That doesn't help you. That bitterness is keeping you down more than them because they're going to eventually leave with that bitterness or worse. They're going to repli- they're going to mimic that bitterness with someone else. So, you know, that's, that's like a critical thing to, I hope as a, as a culture or industry that we help. But yeah, I, I think that there's lots of resources, uh, YouTube channels, emotional intelligence. Just dive in and practice a little bit of it. I don't care if you practice at home with your, with your friend, with your spouse or whatever, girlfriend, whatever, but, it is wild, wild stuff of how different the relationship and the responses go. When I, when I follow up with people like after even like 14 days with the people I've done this, I'll just ask them. It is wild. They're like, it's unbelievable what happened. But you have to be courageous enough to do it. Well, uh, Jamie, first off, thank you for joining us on the podcast. I look forward to having you on again, Paul, and I look forward to having you on again in the future. I think you've provided some awesome nuggets for me to think about. It stemmed just from our conversation a couple weeks ago, it stemmed me to look deeper on my own communication journey on how I can become more clear. I do want to re-highlight your book, The Practice Freedom Method, for our listeners to go and purchase and read and spend time And I I say this to all of our new hires when they come through our workflow training is you have to give yourself the freedom to look more than just advancing your clinical skills, the the professional nature, the personal growth, the communication. I'm going to highlight some of the things that you talked about today. I will give credit where credit is due, obviously, to help them grow in their communication style. So I cannot thank you enough for, for taking the time this morning and being on our podcast with us. 
Yeah, my pleasure, Dan and Paul. Appreciate you having me on. So, to our wonderful listeners, as always, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, or topic suggestions, please do not hesitate to reach out to us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 